some fell right down that rabbit hole So reality is questionable Try but you just can't let it go These two right here put on the show It's paranormal overload with southern hospitality Haunted murder mayhem tip while discussing immortality Locations with a dark past History that comes to life Hillbillies with a knack for Everything that goes bump at night Overthinking if you by yourself These two will have you turning on the lights Mixing in a little comedy to make sure it all fits in just right Hey, Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories Now here's your hosts Jerry and Tracy Paul Heather Dolph Ninja Sometimes they're cat Freddy, but never the ferrets. Hey, this is Nick Roth, and you're listening to Hillbilly Horror Stories. Hey guys, welcome to episode 337 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. What are you smiling about? <laughs> Why is your belly hanging out? Oh, I lifted it up when I was scratching on oh. picking belly button lint out. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes when you have a new shirt sometimes oh so anyway this is kind of random it's a perfect lead-in we'd like to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world no matter which country you represent or even if you pick your belly button lint thank you for everything you guys gals and service animals do for us yeah thank you guys so much you are awesome we thank god for you every day we pray for you every day thank you for having our backs i mean i just feel like we can't thank you guys enough for all that you do for us I want to give uh, a big shout out to our group. They uh, they have been working overtime with trying to be as positive as possible. There's been a lot of people that have, uh, as the holidays do, they there's a lot of people that are having issues pop up and they're having some dilemmas in life. They're having some depression. They're having other other just things going on in life. And and I've noticed. That no matter who posts in there, there's always several people that that are right to the uh, um, like the Calvary. They're always just right there to try to help us. They as possible. are. I've noticed that myself. And uh, thank you guys for doing that. We uh, try to catch everything as we as you know go day by day. Sometimes something might slip by us, but we are grateful that you guys are there to catch it for us and always there for everybody. You all are amazing. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, but I think that you guys are our angels on earth. So that's how I feel about you guys. And we just love you so much for being there for people. Yeah. We leaned on you guys more than you realize because, uh-huh. you know, we, we can't possibly help everybody we would like to help. We can't talk to everybody we'd like to talk to. Uh, there's just not enough time in the day. Unfortunately, there's that many people who need, you know, that extra support. And uh, that's why, you know, there's 6,000 of you guys. And, you know, if everybody just does a little bit like you guys do, we can spread that positivity around everybody. You guys are great. That's for sure. But if you feel like you would rather talk to somebody else, that's totally fine. You can call 988. You can still text to 741 741 just look at all these people around you. We all got full of love and big ears and all that good stuff. What so. does big ears have to do with anything? Because we're good listeners. Oh, okay. I do have big ears, but it's okay. <laughs> Just know we love you guys, and there's somebody always here for you all. All right, Tracy. We've got a good episode for you tonight. It's um, it's a little different than some of them. I mean, it's it. how can I put this? I don't know. It just seems a little different 
Well, I mean, I can't think of a different word to really use, so different's kind of it. I mean, it's got history, and it's got paranormal, and it's got all that, but it just flows a little different. I don't know. Okay. Anyways, I also want to say I've got Kara Phillip on tonight's episode, and uh, she she has a bunch of personal stories, but she also volunteers at the Old Joliet Prison. Oh, how cool is that? And, yeah, and she's got some stories from there. Ooh, nice. So, and I want to say this, and I say this during the interview. Uh, I want to commend her. Those of you who are a part of our Facebook page, not the group, but the page. Well, the group too, because now the um, posts that go onto the page also go into the group. But that just started in the last month or so. Mm-hmm. And I like to post something positive. Seven o'clock every morning, our Facebook page, our group, and Instagram always has a positive message. Kara is one of these people that she has tons of positive messages that she posts. And it's got her little name at the bottom. Happy. And all this this week, either this week, I can't remember now, or next week. I think it's next week. Most of those came from her. Okay, great. So uh, you'll see her name at the bottom of them. But as you see these positives, you see Kara, Kara Phillip at the bottom. I got that from her. Well, thank you, Kara, for doing that. That's wonderful. So, anyways. Tracy, we have often heard the word Abbey, from Abbey Road to Downtown Abbey. Usually when I hear it, I think of places in Great Britain, Mm -hmm. but Abbeys are actually all over Europe and the Mediterranean Basin. So what is it? Now your business. Well, what the I did research, you do your own research. Brother. I just wanted to point out we've heard it. Now, my next line was, do you know what an Abbey is? No, bitch. I'll be honest, as much as I've heard it, even talked about it a few times on this show, we've done some abbeys that we uh, discussed being haunted. I didn't actually know for myself until I decided to research these stories, and it clicked to me that I didn't know what the hell an abbey was. Well, good. I'm glad you didn't know. I know some girls named Abby, but it's, well, me too. it's not them either. According to Wikipedia... An abbey is a style of monastery used by the members of a religious order under the governance of an abbot or an abbess. I knew that. You did not. Abbeys provide a complex of buildings and land for religious activities, work, and housing for Christian monks and nuns. Okay, that's very nice. I got more. Abbeys are often self-sufficient while using an abundance of produce and skill to provide a care to the poor, the needy, educate the young, and refuse, or refuge, not refuse, mm-hmm. I don't want to give them garbage, Yeah, <laughs> refuge to the persecuted. So with that being said, we're going to cover a haunted abbey today. And I guarantee it's one that most of you haven't heard from, heard of, unless you, you know, live in France. Mm-hmm. We don't have a huge French listening base. No, we don't. No. Dang. This is the Mortimer Abbey. Okay. Tracy, like ancient castles, these huge and abandoned abbeys kind of often hold a strange and fearful attraction for most people. This is for various reasons, but primarily the confined natures of these places. Just like you mean from the outside of it or? Just in general. Just in general. Okay. The eerie silence and the gloomy hallways are the primary reasons most people are kind of freaked out by them. So, like you said, this is kind of for the monks. Are these non-talking monks? 
Yes, but I'm talking about more the abandoned abbeys. Oh, not the, the not one that's the, over. Yeah. Okay, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking I'm about the ones you. that are just kind of been left. Yeah, I mean, I guess they would. If they're kind of quiet, it probably would be pretty eerie. Now, there is something very calming about these places, but at the same time, they can be terrifying. The mysterious remains of Mortimer Abbey are one of these places. It was the first Cistercian. I hope I said that right. I tried to look it up. I had to look up a lot of words yeah. for this one. Oh, gosh, I bet. <laughs> the first Cistercian, I'm going to say, I think it's Cistercian. The first Cistercian Abbey in Normandy, France. The ruins are deep in a wooded valley, which is part of the Forest of Lions, and that's L-Y-O-N-S. Oh. Today, only remnants of the walls are standing, but they serve as a reminder of one of the most important abbeys in France. In its time, it was one of the largest Cistercian abbeys in the entire world. The heck? So you reckon that's why they didn't knock the wall down? They just wanted to keep it there for those I, purposes? I think just history. But yeah. I mean, though, I don't think they're doing. I don't know if they're doing anything to keep what's up. Yeah, there. it's just there. Uh, yeah. that'd be cool to see. It was founded in 1134 by Henry I of England. He was the son of William the Conqueror. I mean, did they not only had that was the only conqueror there, William? Is that how he gets a name like William the Conqueror? I reckon. Dang. And how cool is it to be Henry the First? Like, how how cool is right? I'm the first Henry. Heck yeah. Nobody called him Hank. Uh, no. I wonder if anybody did. That'd be kind of funny. Sup, Hank? <laughs> this was actually one of the earliest holy houses of the Cistercian Order in France. Cistercian, by the way, because I've said it like 17 times now. Uh, they were a Catholic religion order. They were uh, primarily monks and nuns, and they branched off from the Benedictines, and they followed the rule of St. Benedict. Okay. So that's what that means. Now, this actual monastery was built on a large area of marshland around the, I'm going to try this, I think it's Fowlbrock. Okay, good enough. Or Fullbrock. Uh, it's a stream. I, at one place I read it said it was the Fulbrook River, but mm-hmm. everything else I read said it was a Fulbrook stream. stream. So that's what I'm going to go Maybe with. Maybe it depends on if it had a lot of rain. But Maybe there, the stream <laughs> became a river. I think it goes by length. So I don't think the... Oh. Yeah, I think it goes by how long. I think it's... If I remember correctly, it's like 99 miles is a stream and anything that 100 miles or more is a river. See? I, I just learned something. I, I had no clue I about that. I think that's how it goes, but I can't exactly say. Anyways... There's also a nearby lake. Now, the lake was known in Latin as Mortuum Mare, which translates to Dead Pond. And that's how the Mortimer Abbey got its name. Gotcha. This particular area had pagan ties, and it was deemed to be the home of pre-Christian gods. So they kind of thought that, hey, if we build this abbey right here, it would take all those associations and influences away. So that's why they chose to put it there. Oh, interesting. They, they wouldn't real big on the pagan stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, during the 15th and the early 16th centuries, the abbey was at the height of its power. They had everything and anything you could possibly have. They, they had most of their wealth came from the nearby town of Rouen. Now, at this point, they were there was approximately 200 monks and they owned several large areas of land in the countryside, including farms, houses, public houses, and inns in nearby villages. They literally had everything. Look at them go. Yeah. yeah. 
They also owned hospices. What's that? That's what I was getting ready for you to ask. You know what a hospice is today. Yes. Correct? Yes. And I think that's how most of us know it. They come in and they help people out in their final days of their life. But the term actually goes back to the 11th century. They were places of hospitality, and they were first run by the Roman Catholic Church, and they provided care for travelers, pilgrims, the sick, and the dying. Wow. That's very cool. So I guess sort of like a hospital, but a little bit different. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. So, well, here's the problem, though. They sound like they were doing really well. They had all this stuff going on, right? Doing good work, yeah. But with its increasing financial security, the church got uh, a little lax in their ways. And the abbots and the monks, they started caring a little more about worldly things than they did their vow of poverty and chastity and everything else they took. Yeah, right. Well, they were getting bored. Well... (laughs) Doesn't matter. That wasn't what they were there for. That's well, not I what know. they were supposed to be doing. I know. In fact, the Abbey operated more like a business than it did a place of uh, religion and charity. Gotcha. So. Well, that's not good, though. Now, according to the legend, sometime during the 1500s, a local woman was brought to the Abbey for an examination by the monks. Supposedly, the woman was possessed. She had been overcome by the spirit of a wolf. So basically, she was a uh, a female werewolf. Nice. She was chained in a room of the abbey while the monks tried to perform an exorcism on her. The exorcism was only partially successful. They say that the unclean spirit was driven from her body, but it somehow found itself within the stonework of the Mortimer Abbey. What? It went into the it went into like the walls. Well, you know, a lot of people say that stone and stuff can. Absorb? Absorb spirits and stuff. So that, they got it out is. of her, and then it went into the Dagon Wall. That's what the story is. Oh. So we're going to go up a little bit in years, because that was in the uh, 1500s. So wait, what happened to her after they exercised her? Was she good to go? She lost a couple pounds and uh, <laughs> <laughs> got her, her, her muscle mass up a little bit. You're funny. So what happened, I wonder? I have no idea. Did she like live and they let her go, or what that, the heck? I didn't, I don't know. Speculation is all we have. Okay. So they're going to jump ahead about 300 years. In 1884, <laughs> I'm sure she's dead by now. A poacher by the name of Roger Sabourin was in the forest close to the Abbey's ruins when he was certain that he was being spied on. He quickly turned around to find a large female wolf. Now, the wolf looked like it was about to attack. He was scared, and he fired his gun, and the wolf dropped. Now, Roger, he ran off into the woods, as most people would. I don't know what the point of it was. He'd already killed the wolf. But he ran off into the woods. He later returned to the site to find his own wife lying in a pool of her own blood. No. With a number of wounds where she had been shot. He shot his wife? The story goes that she came into the woods to find him and had... The confusion is, did he see her and in his head he saw a wolf when really it was just her? Or had she been taken over by the spirit of the wolf that still lingers in that area from the exorcism from 300 years earlier? So he had no idea she was a wolf? No. 
How can you be married to somebody and not know that? Well, I think you're missing the point. I know, I know, I know. I don't think she really was a wolf. No, 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 no. I, know I think what you're at saying, that, but, at, so, they were in that area. Yeah. And she might have just been taken over by the wolf and became a wolf at that moment. Oh, or he felt so bad. He looked at her and saw a wolf when really that she wasn't a wolf at all. Oh. Won't either either place. Either it way is, that it happened, it she's was a dead. terrible accident. Yeah. Many of the local celebrities felt that the woman was possessed, such as the young woman at the monastery. And since all that was open and she had released, that spirit was released, they think that it still lingered in the woods. Hmm. Let's go back to the 1600s. There was going to be a decline in the abbey. This is when things started to kind of go bad as far as, you know, because we know it's in ruins. Yes. So how did it get to that point? I'm getting ready to tell you. After this quick sponsor. No, I'm not. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) In the 1600s, there would be a decline in the Abbey. Now, this is primarily due to new laws that were passed that basically gave the government, the French government, management power over secular affairs of French churches and holy houses. So basically, it was like, okay, I know y'all were kind of operating on your own and your own little business, but now... We're taking over. We're taking over, and y'all work for us. Like many of the others, the Abbey kind of, you know, it relied on the funds and stuff from their land that they had, and all that was cut off, and they gradually fell into disrepair. Well, that's terrible. Why can't they just let them be? Yeah. Why? I don't know. They, I mean, it's they a Beatles song, nothing. which was recorded on Abbey Road. Thanks for making a connection. <laughs> the numbers of monks were greatly reduced at this time. By the French Revolution, there were only five monks living in that falling apart building. That was it? Yep. What the about revolu- the nuns? There, there wasn't any. There oh, was they were already them. gone? They were none nuns? <laughs> the revolutionaries did not treat them very kindly, as Aww. you can imagine. The monks were actually falsely accused of crimes against the state, and they were forced to hide in the abbey's wine cellar. But they were found and executed without mercy. Oh my goodness. One legend says that the monk's blood was actually mixed with the wine and drank by the revolutionaries who executed them as a form of uh, celebration. Ever since then, the wine cellars have had an excessively oppressive and claustrophobic atmosphere. Some people claim that you can still smell the stench of death if you're in the cellars. Mm. I can't believe those five just kind of held back and they just didn't move on with the other ones. Well, they still felt like they had a responsibility. I mean, there there was a reason for them being there. Right. And well, who knows what happened to them? They might have just died off as years yeah, came. Yeah, well, that could be true, too. That's very sad. After the French Revolution, the Abbey was sold to a very wealthy local farmer. And it's changed hands a number of times over the years. In 1985, it was sold to Madame Charpentre who turned it into a museum. I thought you were going to say a brothel. No, no. <laughs> how, how crazy would that have been? Oh. Through all the changes of owners, the ghost apparently still remained. Tracy, there is a natural fountain that is within the confines of the Abbey, and it's known as the Spring of St. Catherine. It's said that this spring has strange and magical powers. It's believed that If a young, unmarried girl came to the spring on certain nights of the year, she prayed really hard and earnestly to God, 
she would see the face of her future husband looking back at her from the waters in the well. However, if the girl was, you know, a little less than virtuous, or she didn't really take it seriously, something else would look back at her, and she might even find herself possessed. Therefore, many argued that it was better to stay away from the spring. Many locals said it was better to die an old maid than to just see the devil. So, Well, I mean, was this the well that was still there while the town was alive, or was this there, even after? It's been there the whole time and it's still there. Oh, it's still there? Mm-hmm. There's also tales of a sinister guardian of that little spring. Mm-hmm. One of the local old men told a story that took place during World War II when the area was occupied by German forces. A British parachutist, actually, his aircraft crashed, and I guess he had uh, projected out. Okay, yeah. Ejected, I should say. Ejected okay, out, out, of, out of the plane mm-hmm. as it was crashing, and he landed within the ruins of the monastery. He was really close to the vicinity of that spring. He was lost in the dark. He had no idea the direction of a nearby farm where he had hoped, at least, you know, that the French resistance would actually be waiting at that farm to kind of help him out. Something moved in the darkness, and out of the dark came a cowled figure dressed in a long, dark robe like a monk. It made a signal to the parachutists to kind of follow him. The figure then led him into the nearby woods, and shortly after, they reached a farmhouse. Was this at night? In the dark? Yes. Oh, he's so brave. Who would know where he would have been leading him? It's funny that I said he was in the dark and didn't know where he was, and out of the darkness, this guy came and you said, was this in the dark? Oh, well, that's true. <laughs> I thought maybe, wa- yeah, that's true. Never mind. No. I thought maybe he waited till the next morning. No. I wouldn't want to let, would you want to go in the middle of the night? Wouldn't you want to wait till it was daylight? To Babe, this was in the middle of wartime. This is a guy who just got shot down his plane. I don't think he's afraid of the dark. Oh, well, that's probably true. Shortly after walking through the dark at <laughs> night with this hooded figure, they reached a farmhouse. And in that farmhouse was the French resistance, as he'd hoped. They took him in and they gave him safety and shelter. Now, the parachutist went on to tell the men about the monk who showed them the way to the and guided him through the woods to their house. The room became exceptionally quiet as all the men made the sign of the cross over themselves. They then told the parachutists that since the revolution, there were no more monks at the abbey. So apparently this was a uh, ghost. Well, that was nice of him to lead him there. Many visitors to the museum in recent times have experienced the sounds of heavy breathing close to the ancient walls as though someone was standing very close to them. Others have felt a menacing presence. Kenneth Kovac, he was an American who actually visited the site. He says that he felt like someone was walking right behind him, matching him step for step. He could hear breathing, and he had the feeling that someone was extremely close to him. But when he turned around, there was no one there. There was just a strange-shaped shadow where the sun had caught one of the walls of the abbey a little bit awkwardly. He said that it was all very eerie, but he felt a presence in a moment. And then just as quick, it was gone. Now, toward the end of the 19th century, the Mortimer Abbey passed into the ownership of the Delarue family. 
They were exceptionally wealthy Parisians. And as soon as they bought it, they left their house in the city and they moved into the abbey. This was back when it was still, I guess, you know, in decent shape. Yeah, just not uh, like functioning, but yeah, it was still functioning. Still okay, okay. They had barely got settled when strange and disturbing things began to happen. At night, their children were terrified by unexplained noises and things moving in their bedrooms. Most of the activity occurred in an area of the abbey known as the pink room or in the library, which is actually right next door to the pink room. Now, Miss Delarue was convinced that a presence followed her through the corridors. She would hear a whisper in her left ear that was a very low, husky whisper. This happened several times a week. She wasn't sure, but she thinks the language of the whisper was in Latin. She said she would also hear singing and chanting from across the abbey with no possible explanation as to where the sound was coming from. They would hear ghostly footsteps all over the abbey. Doors would open and close on a regular basis without anyone there. Pictures and mirrors would fall off the wall at nighttime, and they would always land face down. When the family was out of bed, they would get up and check, and incredibly, the glass was never broken in any of them. Lucky. At one point, when the family was exploring some of the more remote areas of the abbey, they found a dreadful-looking wooden statue of a priest performing an exorcism. Everyone in the family believed that the statue was somehow connected to the paranormal activity. The statue seemed to have a quote-unquote knowing feeling about it, almost as if it was there watching them. Mm-hmm. Now, Mr. Delarue pointed out that the fingers on one hand of the priest's hand, uh, hand of the statue was impossibly long. The hands? Yeah, like the fingers on oh, the, the fingers hand would have been really like long? extra long. Yeah. It's kind of like that mural we have here in town we always point out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like exceptionally long arms, like for real. Cars that belonged to the Delarue family that had been parked in a shed or in the backyard were covered with a fine white dust. No one could figure out why or what the dust was, and the dust didn't appear on anything else other than the cars. And what year was this? This would have been the 20s. I was going to say, I didn't know they had cars way back then. Yeah. The Delarues approached a local priest in 1921 and had the abbey exercised. This had very little effect, and his family sold the abbey and moved out soon after. <laughs> they were in there for a while, though. Yeah, sounds I mean, they were like... in there over 20 years. Mm-hmm. The ghost that's most associated with the Mortimer Abbey is, take a guess. Uh, I don't know. The White Lady. Wow. I was hoping it'd be somebody else. This is a little bit different, though. Many think that this is the daughter of the Abbey's founder, Matilda. She was the daughter of Henry I. Remember, we talked about him back in 1100. Right. She was born in 1102. At the age of 12, she was already married to the German emperor, Henry V. Uh, Start them out pretty young, don't they? Later, she was married to Geoffrey Plantagenet. He was the Duke of Anjou. I love that on... My roll speed. <laughs> she had a son with him, also called Henry. He, They would actually form the English Plantagenet royal line. So 
over the years. However, she had a little bit of a rebellious nature, and that and certain scandals led to some rifts between her and her father. That led to Henry I basically imprisoning her at the Mortimer Abbey. Her sad, pale spirit is said to drift through the ruins of the Abbey. Many people have seen her butt. They've seen her butt? (laughs) What? See, I told you she was involved in several scandals. (laughs) Depending on how you see her dressed means something different for those who have seen her. Okay. If the lady in white is wearing white gloves... It's a good omen. It means prosperity and love and marriage or perhaps even a birth in your family. But if her gloves are black, it means a death in the family within a year. Most people are probably going to have a death in the family within a year, I would think. Well, yeah. No matter what. The ruins are also the site of some ferocious poltergeist activity as well. Lights and noises have been heard throughout the abandoned abbey on most nights. Some of the sounds heard resemble human cries. Loud bangs and rumbles are also heard. Falling stones are moved and interior doors violently fly open and close on their own accord. Sometimes people even hear someone shouting as if they are in intense pain. Other times there is a roaring like an animal. Sometimes it's just the noise of things falling or being pushed around. One local said that it's very loud around the abbey. All types of things move around in those ruins after dark. In fact, these ruins have been called the most haunted site in all of France. And that is the story of the Mortimer Abbey. Nice. Well, I mean, you know, I'm sure there are all, you know, all those creepy sounds and your imagination can go crazy, but a lot of stuff went on back then and you never know what's in the forest, right? Right. And like I said, they said this thing is pretty deep in the woods, so uh-huh. I'd like to see it. It'd be pretty cool. Oh, no, I would definitely like to see it, for sure. I just don't want to hear no noises, though. No thanks. <laughs> hmm. I'll pass. All right. So we're going to take a uh, quick sponsor break, a little later than what Tracy said we were going to, but we're taking a quick sponsor <laughs> break, and then uh, we'll be back with some housekeeping, and uh, of course, we're going to listen to our special guest, Kara Phillip. All right, Tracy, I'm not going to beat a dead horse this week. Uh, I can tell you I don't have an update yet on New Orleans in October. It's still tough, but I do have some leads that I'm working on. Good. I have nothing on uh, the cruise yet because dates are not available yet, but I am working with a new travel agent that uh, as soon as dates are available for when we want to go, I'll have it up and running. So that's kind of where we're at then. And then all the shows that we're doing that's already set up, hillbillyhorrorstories.com, you can check them all out. I will say the show at the uh, the jail in uh, Indiana with Middle Aged and Creeped Out and uh, Tragedy of Cinema, that one is going to sell out. I'm just telling you because there's only 40 seats available and we've already sold something like eight or 10 of them. Good. So I'm just saying that that's the only one I would tell you there, there's a sense of urgency to. That's on, uh, when is that? Uh, June? May. It's May. in May. Yep. That's Between... May, ni- May 19th, yeah. I think, is mm-hmm. the date on that. So I would not hesitate on getting tickets for that because that one will get, you know, sold out pretty quick. Well, good. But all the other ones, there's plenty of tickets. Post Town Elementary, that's the one we're doing with Cryptids of the Corn on uh, April 22nd. That only has 60 tickets for that one, and we've already sold a bunch of those tickets. Oh, so good. those two, if you want to check out, 
If you want to be inside of a legitimate haunted place while we're doing the show, those two are the, you know, that's why there's not that many tickets available. There's only so much room. Yeah, come on out, guys. We miss you all. We love seeing everybody when we have our shows. Yes, absolutely. Tracy, what do you got going on over there? All right, for our iTunes this week, we have Jason B., the Crazy Dragon Mama, and good old Mojo Lobster. Thank you guys for your reviews. We really appreciate that so much. And our Patreons is Diana Bowers and Joseph Belcarsi. I hope I said that right. Diane Bowers and Joseph Belcarsi. Thank you guys for your uh, patronage. patronage. And we can't thank you guys enough for hanging with us. It means the world to us. We love y'all. Right. All right, guys. Let's listen to Kara Phillip. Hey, guys. I'm excited to have Kara Phillip on with us today. She is a host and talent coordinator with the SBPC Late Night Legends. So you can check her out there. But she's also a volunteer at the old Joliet prison, which we've talked about before on this show. And, you know, obviously when she's, she's there, she gets to spend a lot of time with the spirit. So I'm sure mm-hmm. she has a lot of fascinating stories from the jail. Kara, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It's this was honor. super short notice. <laughs> it was, I happened to be off today. So I, I'm really just kind of playing in my backyard as it melts and enjoying being outside. So I thought this is a great way to spend part of my day. Thanks for having me. You're more than welcome. I want to talk about the prison, obviously. Yeah. And, and talk about some stories there. And you've got a personal story that you're going to share with us as well. Mm-hmm. But tell me a little bit about uh, the podcast that, that you've got going on so we can learn a little bit about that. It is... Um... So when you find us, it's SBPC colon late night legends, um, YouTube, Spotify, Facebook, uh, Apple music, but it's, you know, we just call late night legends. I like to say I, I am a legend. Um, we explore the paranormal, uh, conspiracies, UFOs, just kind of everything in that realm. Sometimes we have some awesome guests and sometimes we just kind of talk through personal stories and really welcome listener interaction. We uh, live stream Monday nights, so we do, you know, love when people listen in and interact. And then on Thursday, we release our um, episodes, and we are actually looking for new hosts, too. So if anybody would like to apply and join us in the fun, please do. Um, That's, I love it. I get to interact with everybody and, you know, get to talk to new people like you all the time, too. So it's a good time. Awesome. So I want to start off before we get into your your time at the prison. I say that like you're a hardened criminal. Or something. Before we talk about your time at the prison, um, you've got a personal story that that you said um, we're going to start stuff off with. That I think will be fun to start with. So yeah, I'll just turn the microphone over to you and let you go from here. Absolutely. So my first ghost story um, is the one that I don't remember. It's you know I think we kind of started you know, kind of started off my life, you know, just kind of being in connection, you know, with, with the other side a little bit. When we bought our house, we, you know, I say we, like I did it, I was two, two and a half years old, uh, from a family that had, uh, one daughter and, you know, always did. And I'm, I'm an only. And when, uh, the husband saw my parents and me, he said, that's who we're going to sell to. His wife had, had passed on uh, not long before, and it was time to sell the house. And they moved out of state then he and his daughter still. And, you know, 
unbeknownst to anybody, I ended up in the daughter's bedroom. You know, nobody really put any deep thought into this. But my mom, and back then, you know, you didn't have radios and TVs everywhere. So I certainly did not have a radio or TV in my bedroom. And my mom later told me she would hear, she would hear talking. You know, sometimes I would talk, you know, kind of babble back a little bit, talk back. So I was two, three years old. But she heard somebody talking to me. She admitted this years later, and I said, Mom, why would you not go into my room? Why would you? <laughs> well, this is crazy to me. You heard, you know, you heard something. And she goes, no, because dad, dad would think I was nuts if I said anything or did anything. <laughs> so so she was hearing this woman, too. We know, you know, we know who it was. I, you know, hopefully it was who we thought it was that had been there before. And growing up, I always just you know, kind of knew there was more, you know, more of a presence. And I never thought that much of it. And I never really talked too much about it. I just always knew that she was there, that she was with me. I didn't, it wasn't like an imaginary friend or somebody that I said, oh, here she is. I just knew she was really present. Um, We um, renovated the upstairs where the bedrooms were. And my mom later said that they spent one night in my room. They kicked me out of the upstairs first. And I had to be downstairs as this was all getting packed up. They spent one right night in my room and a mom said that was the most peaceful night she has ever had in that house, you know, being in there, you know, I would say with her. A couple of years after that, I was sitting at my computer, you know, a giant computer because it was so long ago and, you know, at a big desk. And I saw, you know, and I will say this is the only time I remember seeing her. I saw her walk, you know, across behind me stood behind me. I could feel her touch my shoulder and just kind of stand behind me for, you know, it felt like a really long time. It was probably just a brief moment. And then she just kind of turned and walked out the door. Never, never was she in that house again. I never. So I assume, and I never, I should have really, you know, we knew names and we knew where they moved. I should have looked it up. I assume that's when her husband, you know, crossed over and she went to go join him. You know, maybe, maybe she didn't need to be with me or I was old enough. I was about 12. She figured, eh, I don't have to watch you anymore. I don't know what it was exactly, but I knew she was saying goodbye. And um, so my first experience is one I don't remember, but I do remember when she said goodbye. And um, after that, I always, you know, it was always normal. We, I'm on the South side of Chicago. We are all ghost stories right here. You know, we have Resurrection Mary, we have Bachelor's Grove. This is all the stuff that was perfectly normal for us. So I grew up going to Bachelor's Grove and, you know, relatives are at Resurrection Cemetery. This was always just part of, you know, you don't mean to, but you grow up a little spooky, right? It's all around you. And then that kind of all kind of went away for a little while as I was busy, you know, growing up and doing everything that you do in your twenties and, you know, and beyond. And then I started at the prison. <laughs> so then it kind of all started again. So the, the young lady who are the, I guess the older lady that, that mm -hmm. you believe was in your house, that, that went on for about 10 years then, right? At, yeah, probably about that long. And it was just, you know, it's not that I always saw her. It's not that, you know, anything, um, you know, when my mom heard her talking and kind of heard me talking back, I don't remember that. It was years later talking about it that she said, oh, yeah, that happened. And I said, that's just so bizarre <laughs> that you did nothing about that. <laughs> and she just didn't think that much of it because I think she, you know, maybe has more connection than she likes to think about, you know, to the other side that she just seemed to think it was normal enough that this was happening. And I think if it wasn't for her kind of corroborating that story when I was little and couldn't remember, 
I don't know how much, you know, I'm, I'm, I think, you know, it holds me back. I don't always trust. I like somebody else to say, I saw that, or I heard that if I don't have some sort of extra evidence, I go, did I just make that up? Did I want that to happen? So, you know, and I knew like when she left, I knew she said goodbye. I could feel it. I could see her, but just knowing that my mom also heard her, you know, many years prior, I'm like, that's, that all was pretty real. You know, that was both of us. Did your dad ever admit to seeing or feel anything into the house? No, never. <laughs> that's uh, like my husband too. When you say, oh, I, this is what I saw. Or this is what I heard. <laughs> uh-huh. Sure you did. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you believe that. <laughs> sure. That's nice. That's a nice thing you do. <laughs> so yeah, that's, I think that's why. So that's why my mom didn't say anything about hearing anything. Because <laughs> could you imagine? And I wasn't even old enough to say, yeah. You know, he just went, okay. So she never said anything until years later when she knew she could talk about it with me. So let's let's jump back to something that I wouldn't plan on talking about, but now that you've brought it up, what are your thoughts on Bachelor Grove and Resurrection Cemetery? Do you believe they are actually haunted? Do you believe in the Resurrection Mary stories? So I think while growing up, Resurrection Mary it just was so completely part of the lore. It was, you know, I, I don't live that far away. Um, you know, it's normal to drive past it, normal enough, you know, normal enough. All, all the old landmarks except the cemetery aren't really there anymore, but it's normal. It was normal to pass the ball and it was normal to see the sign. So I think, I don't know, you just don't even question it. It's just part of what it is. And you just really hope she's going to hop into your car one day. Um, I'm not a young guy driving down the road from the ballroom, so probably not my car. It's unfortunately never happened to me. Um, I think we've all looked for the handprints in the gate. I haven't seen them. I always, I think when it comes to Resurrection Cemetery and whether it's haunted, I grew up visiting my grandparents, you know, and, and all the families. So I think I tend not to think of it as, I don't think of it as terribly haunted just because of that. But I will say there is, it's newer, the huge mausoleum. That one terrifies me. I cannot, you know, that's one place, honestly, if somebody, I don't know how much money they would have to offer me for me to spend the night there. That mausoleum is scary. I do believe there is something walking around there. I, you know, and I don't usually get scared places and I know it's not a human. There's just something there. And so that's a more recent thing. When I try to look it up or try to find something on it, there's nothing. I can't really find anything online about it. People usually haven't been in there. So that's one thing I would love to talk to people about, like that have been there and how they feel there. How how new is that? Uh, probably, I think it's like the 70s, maybe. Okay. 70s, so 80s, maybe. It's newer, but it's not newer, new, not new. brand new, newer. Yeah. Interesting. So, so yeah, that's the one place. And I, I, oh, it just, it, that one gets me every time I, <laughs> like, I just feel like something's there and it's not that it's a mausoleum. I mean, that's not a big deal. It's, there's something in there. So I've yet to find somebody to really like talk about it with, but I would love to. And what about Bachelor Grove? Of course, you've got the famous picture from there with the, the lady in white uh, sitting on the stone. I, or yeah, whatever, I've seen, but... I have seen that. I've, um, well, we used to go at night, you know, when we were teenagers. So of course that's its own excitement, right? You're not supposed to be there. You have to park in a certain place and leave a different way. So it's always just, 
exciting. You know, anytime you're doing something you're not supposed to do, you know, there's always that air of excitement. I will say, um, you know, aside from any, you know, just mundane things like worried about getting caught there, we have had electronics, you know, the batteries drain. But I will say this was a long time ago and electronics weren't what they are now. I would be a little bit more um, convinced maybe if I went back now and my cell phone now suddenly drained, I'd be like, oh, something, something there then. I don't know. Um, but electronic straining, we have pictures, real life pictures, not digital that definitely kind of have, you know, we, there's like a guardian at the gate and outline. Of course, these pictures are buried somewhere, you know, and I keep saying, I really have to dig them out and really look, but I almost don't want to find them. Cause will they live up to my memories? I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. but but we do, you know, do have pictures kind of of things that, you know, weren't there when we were looking. I have one time we went during the day, I think probably for me personally, the most memorable experience. I remember I was just there kind of separate from my group and ended up outside of the gate walking around by the lagoon. And I remember it felt, it felt like a little boy was talking to me and walking around and trying to show me things. And I kind of didn't, you know, there's something there because I didn't, I was not making that choice. I wasn't thinking about it. I felt like I was just walking with him to walk around and go look around. And it's like you, just like a little kid being like, let's come this way. Let's, how about this? Look here. Because it wasn't always just a cemetery. It was a settlement. So there was always more to it. What do you, he didn't bring me to anything that I saw that was interesting. Suddenly I kind of realized, whoa, I'm far away from everybody. I should head back, but it was daytime. So it was okay. So I think there is definitely something there. I think there's, you know, but a lot of people go there and put a lot of energy into it too. You know, there's certainly people that, you know, as the story goes, you have to watch out for people that are maybe doing rituals that aren't very positive and everything. One time during the day, we found a pig carcass in the stream. It's, there are not pigs walking around. Somebody brought that there right. and, and left it. Um so, so is it all, you know, the residents of the cemetery or is that maybe some energy that people are bringing? And then, you know, how many millennia of just history, because these major roads like that it's on, they are Indian roads that are, a lot of our roads are based on. So when there's something big happening, you know, maybe like a haunting, there's way more history than we know. So we, you know, is it the settlers? Is it the cemetery or is there more going into it? So I think there it is active. It's been years since I've gone. I went during the day, probably 10 years ago, and haven't made it back. And I say, oh, I have to go back one of these days. But I'm not willing to go at night anymore because it's not fun to think about getting arrested. I'm a little <laughs> a little too old for that, that. now. <laughs> I wouldn't want to have to call my mom about that nowadays. It would have been funny, you know, over 20 years ago. But now it's not as funny. All right. So let's talk about... The prison. So you said yeah. you started there around 20-ish? Uh, for that I started going to the prison, uh, I started probably about four years ago. I started going. Um, I ended up there just really because I was interested. My um, my mom worked nearby and we would pass by and go to work with her sometimes when I was little because, again, only child. If I said I didn't want to go to daycare, sometimes I didn't have to go to daycare. Um, so we would drive by when it was still an active prison. It closed in 2002. And I just, it looks like a castle. It's, you know, just enchanting to look at it. I, I think it's just gorgeous. But when you drive by and you are right on this normal road that you've been driving on for a half hour 
And all of a sudden it's an active prison on either side. One side is the women's prison and where they would process the buses coming in from the courthouse that we would even pass by on our way. And the other side is, you know, has people with guns up in the watchtowers and, you know, feet from the street. It's just amazing to me. That was so crazy. Don't pick up hitchhikers and there's houses right there in this prison in this road. I just thought that was wild. And it was always enchanting, you know, the architecture and just how, how much of a juxtaposition it felt like, you know, right in the middle of everything. So it closed in 2002. Um, I actually lived in a different state at the time and prison break was filmed there. All this stuff kind of went on. I ended up moving back pretty close to the prison. Um, I live very conveniently located now and they opened up some tours uh, Well, there was actually a big fire and I saw the smoke from my house and was just, you know, devastated. They opened up tours a little later and I went to the first tour I could and just thought it was amazing. And then I found out sometimes there were volunteer days. I said, oh my God, I have to go get to this. And then I realized then every Saturday, there's this awesome dedicated group of volunteers that would be there every Saturday cleaning and doing what they could for, for the place. And I was hooked. That was, I said, okay, I'm here every Saturday now. And um, we call ourselves the Saturday squad. And we, so we do the important work of making sure it's safe enough. You know, we open up areas, clean them up, make it so that the public can come do tours, you know? So I think that's, and of course it's just fun and we get to hang out in an awesome place with really cool people, but also the paranormal stuff, you know, the tours really got started, um, 2019, 2020, somewhere in there, they really got started and I got to really become part of that. So we have our resident, you know, real ghost, you know, investigator, ghost hunter, and then we get to work with him. So I started coming along on his tours, getting more involved. And so now that's, you know, now we're down to private investigations, not necessarily public tours. And I get to be a part of those. And it's just a blast. So not only do I get to help keep it clean and maintain it, but also be a part of that nighttime stuff too. So what have you experienced that uh, makes you a believer that there are spirits inside the old prison? I, so I, I think we said I was the anti-ghost person because at first, so I will say I, I became, uh, I'm a nurse. I became a nurse um, a while ago. And from the moment I became a nurse, I really stopped seeing ghosts and I think um, stopped seeing, stopped feeling. And I really attribute that to, I spend time kind of at the edge, really, I do and I think I kind of shut it off. You know, I, I said, if I, you know, I think my brain knew we can't be seeing all of this there. That's, that's too much. So I really didn't for a long time. And no joke when we had like an EMF meter or anything like that, it would, you know, maybe be making it sound. It would point to me, go silent, you know? So if I went in the building with somebody to go find something, there would be nothing. So the joke kind of became like, I can't go in the building for these things. I should stay away. And, and I would, and I would say, Oh, I just want them to do something. I want to see something. Right. And there were a few times I'll admit that I would see something walking or I would, I would definitely, and somebody else would see it too, but I'd be like, mm, that didn't really happen. You know, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Not really, but I really want them to show me something. They do, but I just wanted to doubt it, I guess. Um, so then one night we were on, actually, I should say a day. It started with a day. So one day we were there on a Saturday. 
I was cleaning the blue she cell and, you know, we're saying, okay, we're going to work on getting this ready eventually for people to be able to come to her and see it because time has not always been very kind, you know, to, to the whole prison. So I was cleaning the blue she cell. We were, there's a lot of paint chips that come down and I was, you know, sweeping and, and kind of moving paint chips, bagging them. And I just kept feeling like from the admin building, the big, you know, iconic center, like something was watching me and I kept, uh, you know, it just felt icky, you know, just a real, and I kept looking and I kept saying, I'm not seeing anything. This is all in the West cell block that we hadn't, um, opened in a long time or from the West cell block, I should say people would look in and see things down there that I never could see. And that whole cell block had been sealed for a long time. So we think whatever was in there was in there we eventually were able to open it. And, you know, so now they can cross the iron and the bars and everything. So there's nothing to cross. It's just open. So I kept feeling something kind of from there watching me and I'm going, this is, huh. And I even said to one of my friends with me who, who is better at kind of seeing and feeling, you know, more of a sensitive said, do you, are you seeing something, you know? And right then one of our friends walked through the door and we laughed. Well, it wasn't him all day, you know, really there was something else. So the day wrapped up, I still felt pretty creeped out. We went home that night. We had a, a paranormal tour and I never, I would always stand at the end, you know, cause we want to make sure people are safe. I would never be creeped out ever standing by myself in the dark. I would just stand there. And a guest actually said, what do you, do you see that? Do you hear that? We heard, we heard a key, like key, like old heavy keys. And you can see like a point of light, like a flashlight walking. And I said, oh. <laughs> I do. <laughs> oh boy. You know, so we walked down there and we kept like hearing it, like it was there, you know, like it was kind of just kind of walking and kind of there, but that was it. We walked back to the middle, you know, kind of close to where everybody was. It's a long cell block. And another group later said, Hey, I want to walk down there, walk with me. I, you know, we hear something. I go down there and with them and right in front of me, like, you know, just clear, clear as anything, um, a tall, you know, large shadow just kind of like walked right in front of me and I could, you know, and, and I, I knew, I knew in that moment, it's what I felt watching me. I knew, you know, and I could, and right in that moment, there was just no question in my mind. And I said, oh my God. <laughs> and then I ran <laughs> just, you know, which is so irrational, but I ran and one of, one of my friends that was there said, Oh, good to see how you are in an emergency. And I was like, it's not an emergency. It's a big ghost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's not an emergency. That's not an emergency. That's just, I'm just running. Um, and then I feel better when I'm around people again. Right. So I knew, so he's, he's a guard. I could tell he's a guard. I know he is. Um, and now, now it's totally normal when I stand down there in the galleries, I can see him walk and watch. He st walks in the upper gallery. We hear footprints, you know, or footsteps when we're in uh, one of the cell blocks, there's a metal floor. We can hear like heavy, like guard steps walking, um, you know, and everybody hears this. We've had um, pretty well-known mediums come in and say, oh yeah, he's up there walking. He's watching you. <laughs> Um, we've had during investigations, you know, him, him name our names, you know, through spirit boxes or with mediums, um, say who he likes and doesn't like. So he'll say he likes me and he doesn't like our main, you know, kind of ghost investigator tour guide. Um, you know, so he, he's a guard, you know, he feels like a guard. He sounds like a guard. So to me, that's the most common, you know, and I can just see him watching and walking. 
up on the gallery. That's my that's my normal one. We've heard uh, doppelgangers before. That's a normal, fairly normal occurrence. Um, creeps us out every time. Um, to actually hear our friends' voices. Um, that's something, but the prison knows the voice as well. We see leaning out of the cells at night, like the inmates leaning out. We've smelled, you know, I've definitely smelled cigarette smoke like somebody is blowing it in my face. And it's all, and sometimes, you know, and, and we also say like the light changes and sometimes this feels like it's fine, like they're our friends, like it's somebody we know. And sometimes it is not something so nice and we feel like we have to get out of there. There's one gallery of one of the cell blocks that pretty dependably I don't care to go to, you know, it's, there is just something, you know, that it does not like us there and it stays pretty much over there the whole time. Um, and it's not unusual to look down the gallery and see somebody kind of watching us from a doorway, just standing there and watching. Um, I used to think when it was not quite so populated, when we did, there wasn't as much human alive human presence, I used to say, are we sure it's not somebody like a real person that we're seeing somebody broken? But now at this point, the you know, the whole grounds are a lot safer. So now I know it's not a person that's alive. So a lot. It's it's normal when we're there. So why is it called the Belushi cell? That is where Belushi was in the movie. Oh, I was trying to think. Yeah. I was I, I wouldn't <laughs> I wasn't thinking about the movies. I guess I was thinking about, I didn't remember John Belushi getting arrested. I thought maybe he was arrested. <laughs> after that. And I was like, what did I miss? No, okay, that, that was make, for the that movie. Makes, that makes a lot more sense now. That okay. is a huge part of our story too there. That's a huge part. So, um, you know, a lot of us think about the paranormal side of it, but certainly really it's that Blues Brothers piece of it that is truly, you know, the huge part. And you said Prison Break was filmed there also? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the early seasons were all there. I it's probably you know sacrilege, but I never really could get into the show. I keep trying every now I, I and again. Could, I couldn't either. I couldn't either. Just not my style. But I love it. I love, love, love so much watching some of those really early episodes where they really show the prison and what it was like. So they came in right after it closed, so it was still in pretty good condition. Um, that is one of my favorite things to see, you know, the TV shows, movies that were filmed there, even if little bits and I go, oh, look at you, look at you, because <laughs> I spend so much time there and I see, you know, what time has done and what we're trying to kind of reverse or at least hold in place. So I just love seeing, you know, some of this older stuff. So one of the goals is to clean up the Belushi cell and really, you know, and the path up to it to make it safe. Uh, so people really can come see because it's such an iconic part of movie history. So, and, and the prison's history. What about uh, ghost hunting shows that have come in? Have you guys had very many come in and have you had any yeah. interactions with the shows? Um, so the one, our ghost hunter guy, he's been on all of them. So that's, we like to pick, you know, when he says something kind of comical in one of them, we love to say, <laughs> you know, there was, uh, he was, his name is Rob he, on Destination Fear. There's a little clip at the beginning that says, welcome to Joliet. And we laugh about that all the time. Uh, but so <laughs> he did, he, so he does more interacting. So yeah, Ghost Adventures, um, uh, Ghost Hunters was there. I was on there for like five seconds in death row. So take a peek for our episode. Um, so Ghost Adventures, Destination Fear, 
and there probably was another one that I'm not remembering and I, I'm going to go ahead and feel bad about it, but, but yeah, they do come in. We have, um, my favorite, my favorite tours, um, Dave Schrader, Chris Fleming, Shane Pittman come and rent it out. And those are just so much fun with them. So it's not a show. It's just, they do a weekend there and, um, you know, it's so cool hanging out with them. They're, they're a good time and they're fans. So we have one coming up in May that I'm really excited about. And so even though those aren't on TV, those are the most fun. Yeah. Dave's a great guy and he puts on good events. So he does. Yeah. Well, Kara, I greatly appreciate you taking the time on short notice to join us today. Yeah. This has been a blast. Thanks for having me. Yeah. This has been fun. So you said that the prison is not no longer doing just regular tours. It's all private investigation. So you know? there, yeah, as far as investigation. So there are, um, you know, self-guided tours during the day in October, they do night self-guided, you know, so you could walk around at night. Um, but all summer, it's pretty much just day. Maybe some go into the night. There are guided, more focused on history tours, um, you know, to learn more about the grounds. But last year or so, it hasn't been... Um, public paranormal well, I should say public like sold through the museum paranormal tours there's talk of maybe opening that up again um but there definitely are the private rentals which I like because they're smaller groups and it's a group of people that all knows each other because every tour you know I'm sure you've been on a few different tours of places or hosted your own and you don't know what you're going to get that night depending on who comes it could be anything and you know I think for the guests while it could be interesting whatever may come sometimes it could you know change the experience i went on a cemetery tour last october a local cemetery tour and there was a birthday party that came all in cute costumes but it was about 20 degrees and everybody was dressed like it should be 80 degrees and that really became the focus of our whole haunted cemetery tour is how unpleasant it was for them so while it was a cool tour at a cool place the people you're with really set the tone. So these privates are cool because you can really set your own tone and kind of do what you, you know, do what you want to do and do what you need to do. So I think those are a lot of fun to go on to. Yeah. And while we're on that subject, let me, let me uh, give uh, some words of advice to the listeners out there. If you go on a public tour anywhere, don't know more or try to know more than <laughs> whoever is hosting it. You may be a hundred percent right in what this host is telling you might be a little off, but it just screws <laughs> up the, the, the event for everybody. If you want to correct them every time you're around the corner, don't do that. Just let it be, go home knowing you knew something they didn't, yes. but, but don't screw it up for everybody on the tour. And enjoy it. Yeah. Go along and enjoy it. I think that's, you know, not everybody does that. They, they try to take it over or make it something it's not just go and enjoy it and absorb and, and get a kick out of it. They're always a fun time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Kara. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you. you so much. Thank you. And hey, before you get off here, I want to say yeah. this, that um, I want to say you are one of the most positive people. And I, I told you that in person, but, uh, you know, for, for a show that is always, we put out a post every morning at 7 a.m. on our Instagram and our Facebook uh, that is strictly something motivational. That's, you know, without doubt, we try to get some kind of motivation and mm -hmm. you do the same thing. You, you have mm -hmm. a lot of motivational posts 
Uh, I shared one of them today, a matter of fact, and actually <laughs> I snagged a, a whole bunch more for upcoming <laughs> weeks and they've all got your name at the bottom. So you'll start seeing Kara Phillip at the bottom of these motivational quotes and there are things that she's already posted. But I just wanted to say that that that's what the world needs. They need more people to share positive instead mm -hmm. of negative, negative, negative. And especially in the paranormal community, there's uh, too much negativity as it is. Yeah. I preach para-unity anytime that, that, uh, I can I can talk positive about other people in the paranormal community. That's what I do. I never speak negative, but I I make jokes about Zach Bagans all the time. But you know, <laughs> Who that's it? It, yeah. I mean, but I don't like I said before. I don't I don't know the man personally, and I can't say anything about him personally. I just don't agree with his style of investigating and him getting possessed every five minutes. But he's in the <laughs> entertainment industry, and and he's yes. good at what he does, which is promoting himself and. And entertaining people, and I'll let it go with that. But I want—I didn't want to let you go without talking about how positive a person you thank are, you. and saying that I, I thank you for being that way. Oh, thank you, Kara Phillip, everybody. That wraps it up for us, guys. Special thanks to Kara Phillip for coming on and doing that. She uh, jumped on like that day I posted I needed somebody, and she said, "Hey, I got something if you need it." And we literally within an hour and a half we were recording so well perfect thank you doll for doing that we appreciate it yeah she's an absolute sweetheart and uh loved her story so thank you for all that and thanks to all of you guys for everything you do for us you guys are the bestest and we hope you all have a blessed week we love you